All three of our readings really focus on the new things that God is doing in our lives and that he wants to do in our life, that he, he offers us something new. And these are great readings to reflect on, especially as we are getting closer and closer to Holy Week, one week away from Palm Sunday, where we focus especially on the new life that Jesus has won for us through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit. Um, we see this expressed in our first reading from Isaiah, where God is describing the things that he has done for the people, but he doesn't want them to just simply focus on that and think, oh, the only, the only way that God has worked in my life has been in the past. And so he says, thus says the Lord who opens a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who leads out chariots and horsemen, a powerful army, till they, till they lie prostrate together, never to rise, snuffed out and quenched like a wick. This is a clear reference to the Exodus, when God destroyed the army of Pharaoh, who was attempting to destroy the people of Israel, that God defended them in this way. This is something that would always be in the Jewish mindset, right? that God rescued them in this way. However, God doesn't want them to simply focus on this, because that blocks out their ability to be open to the new things that he's doing. So immediately after that, he says, remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago consider not. See, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And so um, for all of us, just for the people of Israel, but for all of us, again, especially as we are entering into, preparing to enter into Holy Week, that God is doing something today, now. Right? He's always, he always has something new for me, a newer way in which he wants me to be drawn deeper into his love, deeper into intimacy with him. And there can be a temptation in our parts, especially if we maybe have had a powerful experience of the Lord in prayer or on a retreat or something similar in the past to say, well, that's when God was really with me. That's when he was really working in my life. And now I've just kind of settled in the routine of day-to-day -day life. Well, that's never the case, right? God comes to us even in the ordinary events of day-to-day -day life. And God always wants to do something new. At least he's always inviting us to that. And it's up to us whether we want to say yes or no. But I would invite us, I think it would be a great idea to reflect, especially all three of these readings are beautiful, but especially this one from Isaiah. This is chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Again, uh, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21 of Isaiah. This is also a really crucial part that um, God says right at the beginning, that he opens a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. So again, certainly a reference to um, him conquering Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. But also this is significant because the waters, the sea for the people of Israel, it was kind of a symbol of primeval chaos, if you want to put it that way, right? Water, um, it is now, it's dangerous, right? The ocean is dangerous to travel on. It was much more so in the ancient world. It was unpredictable. It was unpredictable. You couldn't control the waters or the waves. And yet God is the one who is in control even of the greatest chaos, even in control of the greatest evil, right? He's not overcome by it. And so this is a very significant way in which God is saying that he is all-powerful, right? He's all-powerful, and he is opening a way, even in the midst of evil, chaos, even in the midst of darkness, he opens a way for us to have new life with him. This is something that St. Paul certainly experienced in his life in a powerful way, and we hear him explaining this in the letter to the Philippians. So just for a little context in this passage of St. Paul, a few verses beforehand, what St. Paul is basically doing is giving his Jewish credentials, if we want to put it that way. So that in the early church, there were some that were saying that baptism wasn't enough, that if you wanted to experience salvation in Christ, 
that you actually need to accept the Jewish religion first, because that's how God had revealed himself initially to the people. And St. Paul in the early church had to grapple with this, and they realized, no, God is offering us something new. We have our righteousness in Christ, not from the law. The law of the, of the Israelites, the law that God gave to the people of Israel, was meant as a preparation for Christ, but it's not meant to be the end goal of itself. And Paul speaks of this from a position of authority, that he was um, a member of the Pharisees, so the strictest party of Judaism at the time, that he observed the law to its minutia, that he persecuted the church in the name of the law of Israel. All right, so he did all these things, and then he realizes that he was wrong and that Christ fulfills the law. And so a few verses before our, our passage today, he writes this. If anyone else thinks he can, be, he can be confident in flesh, all the more can I. So in flesh, referring to the circumcision of Israel. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew parentage, in observance of the law of Pharisee, in zeal I persecuted the church, in righteousness based on the law, I was blameless. In righteousness based on the law, I was blameless. And he goes on to say, whatever gains I had, these I have come to consider a loss because of Christ. More than that, I even consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things and consider them so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And so he repeats over and over again that I consider all the honor, all the glory, all the uh, perfection that I had attained in observing the law exactly. Compared to Christ, that's nothing, right? I consider it a loss, which is something really incredible for him to say. It, it shows um, how incredible the transformation, how complete the transformation was from him, going from a devout observer of the Jewish law, and certainly he had great respect for his religion, but realizing what God had done in Jesus Christ, his son. And to drive home the, the point home further, he says that I consider them, consider all these other things other than Christ, so much rubbish. And just a quick little word study here. Um, rubbish, that's a kind of a nice, polite translation that we use in our English translation. Um, if we were to translate it literally, so the Greek word there for rubbish is skubala, and skubala in Greek would be better translated into English as a four-letter word that starts with S and ends with T. Right? So it's Paul saying in a very intense way, that's what he considers everything that's not of Christ. Right? That it's worth nothing because what all that matters is being found in Christ. And next to him, if I don't have Christ, it doesn't matter what else I accomplish. I have nothing. And so I have to pursue Christ with everything. And then he goes on to say, I, for my part, do not consider myself to have taken possession just one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward to what lies ahead, I continue my pursuit toward the goal, the prize of God's upward calling in Christ Jesus. And that his whole life now is directed around the prize, the goal of eternal salvation, of spending eternity with Jesus in heaven. Right? And everything else is a distraction. Anything that doesn't contribute to that goal is rubbish in his eyes. Right? And so it's a great example for us, my brothers and sisters, of the new life that God calls us to, despite our past sins or past failings. And we see that in our gospel, that Jesus has this beautiful encounter of mercy with this woman who is caught in adultery, that he doesn't condemn her. He offers her a new life. He offers her forgiveness and says, has no one condemned you? 
neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin anymore. So he's offering her a new lease on life, a new way of pursuing something greater than just earthly pleasure, um, but being freed from sin that she, so that she can find new life in the grace of God, ultimately in the grace of Jesus himself. And so my brothers and sisters, I think just two practical points to emphasize with this. There's obviously a lot of different ways we could apply this to our lives. Um, but one way in particular, I would say, is with confession, right? Certainly every time we go to confession, we get to experience, uh, we get to experience this. We get to experience new life in Christ. All of our sins are completely wiped away. Whether we have venial sins, mortal sins, a bunch of mortal sins, if we're sorry for them, we make a good confession, they're completely wiped away, and then God is doing something new. Right at that moment, he is offering us new life. He is doing something new if we have the grace to see it and respond to it. And so one of the challenges that we can have when we go to confession is that sometimes, whether it's from ourselves or maybe it could be other people or even sometimes it could be the evil one, bringing up temptations of ways that we've sinned and failed God in the past. And that's, that can be hard and challenging because what confession doesn't do, although it sets our relationship with God aright, what it does not do is it doesn't wipe out our memories. So even after we've been forgiven of sin, we still have the memories of our sins. And yet God is calling us, after our sins have been forgiven, to respond to what he is doing and responding to the new life that he has offered to us. And again, St. Paul is a great example of this. Um, at a number of different points in his letters, he makes it very clear that he was an arrogant man, that he persecuted the, the church, right? that he was a murderer of Christians. Um, and yet, he has this complete and total confidence in the power of Jesus' love, the power of his grace, which is far greater than any of his previous sins in his life before he knew Jesus. And we're called to have that same confidence. And so one practical suggestion I would have is if we struggle with falling into temptation or despair over sins in our past, or if those memories are brought up to us, to just turn that into a prayer of thanksgiving. Yep, I committed those sins. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus forgave me of them and gave me new life with, with him? Also, too, just through our Lenten uh, prayer challenge of praying with and for others, I hope many of you have been able to experience the new depth of relationship, the new power of Christ coming into your lives, the lives of your family and friends. Um, if you've taken up this challenge, if you haven't, an encouragement to start. It's never too late to start. But again, praying with and for others, inviting God into those moments in a practical way in our lives is a great way of experiencing the new things that the Lord wants to do in us, right? To not just be focused on the past, but to perceive and understand that God is offering me new life here and now. And so my brothers and sisters, as we approach Jesus in the Holy Eucharist, where he does something new every single time that uh, we come to Mass, right? Making himself presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity, even if we've received him thousands of times, this is a new moment, right? He offers us the grace of new life through his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Let's ask him for the grace to um, especially experience that freedom that he offers us every time we go to confession, to offer, to be open to the grace of praying with and for others, and especially as we approach Holy Week, to remember and be open to the new things that he is doing in our lives.